G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. In fact, I would say it's a different way of talking about money than what we ordinarily do. And it might lead us into a conversation about the attitudes we have to finance being shaped by our faith. Now, it may be significant that Western civilization has been shaped by a Judeo-Christian heritage. And, of course, that would date back to the days of the Roman Empire. So we're talking money today, and today specifically about a Jewish Old Testament influence on money. One of the stereotypes that has followed the Jewish people is that they are innately good with money. So a focus today on finance with reference to some ancient Jewish wisdom that we might glean from the Bible. Darren Laudenbach is the founder of God's Money Matters. He's a businessman, a shareholder, consultant and coach with 30 years in financial planning and he's back with us today. Hello Darren, welcome back to 2020. Hi, Neil. Yeah, thanks again for having me. It's always uh, great to be on the show. Uh, Well, Darren, I imagine, just to set up a little bit of background here, I was only talking to you just a couple of weeks ago, and in Mm. another segment we were talking about, I can't even remember the the topic we were talking about at the time, but, but you mentioned during that segment that you'd been doing some reading of recent times and talking about how attitudes to finance have been shaped, and you'd been reading a Jewish rabbi. And I said to you at the time, this might actually be something we can talk about because (laughs) attitudes to money are shaped by all sorts of things, but we've got a long history in Western civilization and Judeo-Christian. And, of course, you know, we're Christians, but we also appreciate that there's this Jewish foundation in faith issues and the way we think about things. Uh, Give us a little insight into the sorts of reading that you've been doing of recent times. Yeah, well, I've been reading uh, a guy called Daniel Lappin, or uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. He's known as the um, the American Rabbi, apparently, and he's written quite a few books. Um, Thou Shall Prosper, I think it's the Ten Commandments for Making Money. And the one that got uh, caught my eye, first of all, was um, Business Secrets from the Bible. And um, in my consulting role with businesses, I thought, well, uh, there's probably some uh, really... There, well, I've always known there's some gold in the Bible um, about um, you know how to run businesses and also about making money, and I also thought, well, um, and this is something I've been able to share with my uh, non-Christian clients as well, is that you know that the Jews have got a very good track record of being very successful in business and very successful financially, even though they've been oppressed for so many years um, in various different you know times in history. And I thought, well, there's probably a secret here, and that uh, that I could learn from it. So yeah, fascinated to get into it. Interestingly, there's so many, perhaps, if you're, if you're being purist about how you think about money, uh, there are some biblical principles, and oftentimes we find our way back to the purist 
uh, foundation biblical principles and we say, well, these are the ones we want to focus on. Uh, but of course, uh, you like to read widely and uh, mm. with your 30 years uh, in uh, financial planning, I mean, you've probably gleaned so much. You've been probably like a sponge just absorbing all sorts of stuff. Not all the stuff you deal with, with reading about finance is good when it comes to a Christian position. And somehow or other, there's a, a filter system that we, that we somehow have innately within us as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ. How do you sort of, how do you sort out the good from the bad? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think the, the, um, I suppose the uh, attitude I've had over the last 20 or so years has been, um, okay, let's, let's, go to common sense corner, as I'd call it, and say, does this actually make common sense? Does, does, it, does it seem to ring true in my understanding of life and, um, and how things work? Uh, so that's one of the, the filters. And, and the next filter is, you know, does this make sense according to God's Word, or is it actually contradictory? And sometimes God's Word's silent on it, but I'm looking for a contradiction. If there's a contradiction, then, then I'll tend to ignore what I'm, I'm reading or learning. Um, but if it's, uh, if it's in line with God's Word, then I tend to do a bit more research or a bit more reading about it and try to seek to understand a little bit more. Okay. I remember now why we actually planned to have this conversation. And I'm pretty sure it was around this idea of what typically goes on in the world uh, by way of different ways of thinking about finance. And it wasn't necessarily only about personal finances we were talking about. And we'll talk about personal, but we'll also talk about community and even national finances today. But we were talking about the differences in financial attitude between those who are on a socialist side of understanding how things work financially and those who are on a different side that we'd call capitalism. So you've got socialism and capitalism and uh, two different ways of really thinking about the distribution of wealth. And I remember your response was that Jews have a particular interesting way of actually positioning themselves as to how they actually think about money. Uh, re- recount for us uh, those sorts of thoughts that you have on, on a position here. Yeah, and, and this is obviously from my reading and um, listening to Daniel Lappin. So um, it's, it's certainly his point of view. And being a Jewish rabbi who's highly intelligent, I, I'm going to take it that this is representing the Jews' point of view. But they believe in what would be, we'd call ethical capitalism. So they, they believe that God created a system of ethical capitalism and that ultimately God will destroy any other system that um, may, uh, man may invent that doesn't align with ethical capitalism. Um, so, example, you know, co- communism, he'll, he'll destroy that over time because it's, it doesn't serve people well. Okay, so we've got a difference between capitalism and communism, and that extra word that you have added on to capitalism ethical capitalism uh, this captures my imagination i know it'll capture the imagination of listeners because when you talk about the extremes of capitalism or the extremes of communism uh, you're really into dreadful and difficult and uh, bad territory aren't you because mm, some totally. if you don't have that word ethical capitalism in front of your ideas about money uh, then you're actually leaving yourself open to all sorts of extremes yes absolutely and so that's that um and i suppose it's very important it's just not capitalism they believe in it's ethical capitalism it's that um 
see a need, uh, fill a need, uh, make sure it's a win-win transaction. Um, with the overview, and, and the, a wording that he used a lot was that God has created us to serve his children. And um, who is God's children? Who are God's children? And the, the answer would obviously be everyone. And so if I do a deal where I win and somebody else loses, that's not ec- ethical capitalism, and it doesn't r- rate with a win-win. It doesn't rate with serving God's children. And so they believe that uh, ultimately business sifts um, good, good business people and bad business people and good business practices and bad business practices. It's a sifting process. And if you do a good job and you serve well, you will be rewarded financially. And so it's interesting because they see money as the reward, not as the focus or the desire. Let's bring this down to where it is, where the rubber hits the road in the life of an ordinary person, perhaps a family, a parent, someone who has a small business, right down to where we are on the coalface, going through our day-to-day activity. Darren, this idea of having an idea about where you might sit on a spectrum of how you see your wealth, how you see finances, what does it mean for ordinary people like you and I, and not just, uh, you know, airy-fairy things talking about nations? Yeah, it it, it comes down to, um, I suppose, ultimately, um, God has created us to serve one another. And he wants us to be in community. Um, I'll give you an example of that, uh, that this is what Daniel Lappin says, is that um, if we, um, you know, when we tell our children to go and find a job or find a purpose, um, you know, that type of thing, as far as the Jews are concerned, they don't say, well, go and find what you love to do and then go and serve in that and you'll have a job that you love. They actually don't teach their children that, apparently. What they apparently teach their children is that you should, if you see a need, you fill that need, and by filling that need, you'll get your own needs met and you'll be rewarded with finances. So um, they're, they're all about saying, well, if you can see something that needs to be where we can serve your fellow human, um, then go and serve that way. You may not love it in the beginning, but you'll grow to love it. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, teach your children to fill a need. And uh, that's an interesting way to shape an attitude because... Uh, I wonder how that might contrast with the sorts of things that you might have been familiar with over the years about what parents teach their children about finances because, uh, you know, my dad always said, uh, son, uh, look after that wallet in your back pocket. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's a friend. Uh, but what sort of, yeah, so when we talk about teaching children to fill a need, how do you think that works uh, practically uh, for families and uh, for people listening to our conversation today, Darren? Yeah, it's interesting because I think the thing that Daniel didn't say that I've picked up on, because one of the things I've taught over the years is that God has put a unique set of abilities uh, within us. He created us with us. Well, he had us in mind before we were even born, um, and he had a purpose for us. So so we should be seeking out that purpose. And that seems to fly in the face initially of the, the idea you see a need, fill a need. Um, it's, not, it's not about you. It's about serving other people. But my guess is that, uh, where they come together, uh, where that tension is kind of managed, if you like, is that uh, what we can see is I can see stuff that you can't see and you can see things that I can't see. There's blind spots that we all have and there's, there's areas of revelation, I suppose, as individuals that we have. So there's certain um, things that, that I'll notice that you won't notice and, and vice versa. And so I think um, that's how God's created us, to notice those things. And so therefore, if we pick up on what they're saying, is if you can see a need and you feel that need, 
and it's a valuable need being filled, then people will pay you for that service and therefore your vocation will be created in some ways. And so in some ways it, that comes together. It's, it's about what God's instilled in you that you can see that other people might not be able to, um, talents and gifts and things and things that you notice that others can't, um, that God instilled in you. And then you go and serve in that and, and suddenly that becomes um, an area that uh, you can grow to love. So the idea is if we go and look for things that we love doing and then seek to be paid for it, you know, there's an old saying that if you if you can do that, you'll never have to work a day in your life, you know, and make your hobbies your job or something, you never have to work a day in your life. And I think, unfortunately, that's setting our kids up for failure. Um, because let's say, for example, I wanted to be a, a conductor of an orchestra. How many paid conductors are there in Australia? Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> probably not. Probably not too many. You know. So it, for me to succeed in that is going to be extremely difficult, um, and maybe an unrealistic expectation for me to be able to pay the bills. Now, maybe as a hobby, it'd be a fantastic thing, but for me to have a vocation doing that to provide for my family might be really tough. I love what you're saying, and uh, I can see this uh, this conflict developing even in thinking as uh, as we talk about this, because the idea of doing what we love, I mean, that's what we all think we would want to do. Uh, we want to invest in the things that we're passionate about. We want to mm. invest our time, and we want to enjoy the journey. But what you're saying is the attitude that is going to set you up for uh, perhaps the best impact is to even look at the things that you're not passionate about, uh, maybe even uh, the ugly side of things that are not so romantic, uh, or even, as some people say, it's, it's not doesn't have a sexy look about it. Uh, there's a certain sense in which uh, you do those things where there's a need, not whether it feels good to do it. Yeah, and in fact, the Jews would say that if you start a business or you um, are serving in a particular area and people aren't willing to pay for that service, then that's feedback for you that it's not valued. And so therefore, it's not making a valuable or worthwhile contribution to society. So therefore, you're not serving well. That's that's how they extrapolate that. And, and it's it kind of makes sense, right? So if I value something, I'll pay for it. Um, and, and if it's good service to me, I'll be more than happy to pay for it, uh, as others do. But if it's if it's not, then you know the natural consequence of that is that eventually the business will fail or the service won't be won't be desired. And so that's a sifting process for us to work out what's working and what's not working. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. Twenty twenty on Vision. You might have your own contribution to our conversation today talking about attitudes to money and what shapes our attitudes. Darren Laudenbach is our guest from God's Money Matters. Uh, Darren, we'll take some calls as they come through this morning and listeners can help direct the way that our conversation unfolds. But when we talk about going back into history and uh, we talked about uh, Western civilization, you know, it's got a sort of you know, 1,600, 2,000-year history, uh, we talk about the way that uh, civilizations develop and coming from a place where people were, uh, you know, in an agrarian society, uh, they were subsistence living uh, one day to the next, uh, sowing seeds and uh, planting and harvest and those sorts of things. And we see the development of civilization. It comes to where people have begun to specialize in areas. How do you describe the Jewish wisdom on 
how you come out of those subsistence lifestyles and uh, and into something that specialises. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the Jewish culture seems to have this um, uh, understanding that God wants us to advance all the time. And so uh, they, God is happy for us to advance in, in the medical fields and in, in a whole bunch of, you know, in aeronautical, technology, all sorts of areas. They're, they're really happy for us to advance. God wants us to advance in those areas. And where they get that from is where Jacob blessed the 12 tribes of Israel, his sons, and he blessed them before he died. And he basically, in, in the, the Jewish thinking, is that he told each one of them to specialize. So he said... You know, I need as he was blessing each one of the uh, the twelve tribes, he was saying, you, "I want you to actually specialize in a particular industry." And what that was bringing about is diversification of industry, um, but also specification for those, so that they could get really good at one thing or one or two things, and that would lift them out of subsistence living. But it would also create part of what God also wants us to have is that relationship with one another, because. If we're if I if I'm specialising and let's say I'm a I'm a dairy farmer and and um, and you're growing wheat, well you'll need my milk and I'll need and my cheese and I'll need your wheat, um, and uh, to be able to you know make my bread and stuff like that. And so I'll get hopefully really good at producing milk and producing cheese because I'm specialising in it and that's my focus. And you'll get really good at you know the crops, and so. The idea was that this would create interdependence. It would create a reliance on each other, and that would build community. And of course, God's into community and relationships. So, it it kind of that one was a really big aha moment for me. And that this um, specialization is really really key. And and the Jews are very big on specialization. They they really do believe in specializing in one particular industry and getting very good at it. Well, I think it's an aha moment as you're describing those things because, you know, a lot of our listeners have uh, been around for a little while, uh, heard lots of Bible teaching on these sorts of things, aware of 12 tribes of Israel, and mostly when we look at uh, some biblical understanding of those 12 tribes, we recognize that there was a priestly tribe, uh, the, the Levites, and, uh, and they were recipients of what we sometimes refer to as uh, you know, the offerings, the tithe of the other 11 tribes. And, of course, that was a, a priestly duty, which really was like the mortar between the bricks held everything together. We don't often get a appreciation of what the 11 other tribes were doing. And as you say, this is God's plan for the advancement of civilization, that there is specialization that happens in a diverse way. And the creativity of those 12 tribes, no doubt, was about meeting the needs of the full community. That's a powerful, powerful concept, Darren. Yes, it is. And, and in fact, they live it out today. One of the things that um, Daniel Lappin said in his books is that you, know, you very rarely find a, um, a Jewish man mowing his lawns or fixing his car. He will, he will get the local teenager to mow his lawns and he will have the mechanic fix his car because it's, it's not about whether he can do it or not and it's not about laziness. It's about, well, if I can give them money, they can get better at their craft and their trade and, and it gives me more time to focus on getting better at my trade and, and my specialisation uh, or my particular area of, um, uh, that, that I'm working in. And so it's, it, it, they see it very practically in a way in which they, um, you know, and this is why the, the money in a Jewish community, they say a dollar going into the, community, the Jewish community stays there for about 12 or 15 times it turns over before it comes out of the community because they are 
they, they invest in each other. They they um, are spending money and and um, uh, outside of their specialisation. So it's interesting. Interesting, isn't it? And I'm I'm just wondering as you're describing the Jewish community here of how that wisdom could be effectively transposed into a Christian community because, you know, I know of many times over the years where you've had churches that have had their own uh, trade index. In other words, uh, let's have a little index and uh, these are the business people in our church. Hey, why don't you support those business people within the church to actually do those things? And and uh, and I've, I've look, I've heard good stories and I've also heard bad stories where the Christian business people haven't behaved as ethically as they ought to. And uh, I know there might be listeners who'd contribute along these lines the good things that happen in in dealing with Christian business and sometimes uh, the challenging uh, attributes of those as well. But let's uh, just focus for a few moments, transposing those things into the Christian community. What are your thoughts here, Darren? Well, I think you're on something there, Neil, with um, the fact that we should be supporting uh, those industries within our church and our local community. Um, I think that that shows, you know, it's how we love one another is that the world will know that we're his. And I think that, you know, that goes both ways. It's supporting, um, like when I deal with a Christian business person, my expectation is that I, I will get their best because that's what they should be giving to everyone. And certainly the the way in which I've run my businesses over the years is I've always taken the attitude, well, I've got to serve everyone, including this this person who's come from my church or, you know, from the Christian community um, around me, that I've got to treat them the best I can. I've got to give them the best possible service. I've got to give them the best possible value that I can give them. But it shouldn't be much different. Uh, There might be different conversation in the service, but it it, um, shouldn't be any different to how I'd serve the rest of the community. But I would hope that, you know, I'd look to go to some of my church family first and, and just hope that because of that relationship, there would be, um, you know, a, a high care factor. Now, unfortunately, we're all fallen. And uh, just because we're saved doesn't mean we're always good. <laughs> mm. so, so unfortunately, that's part of it. But, you know, part of it also may be forgiveness and grace and all those other things. And, you know, let's not be too hard on Christians who are part of churches and uh, I'm always concerned that, you know, in that uh, 30 or 45 minutes that you might hear a church message each week at church, that just is not enough to be able to shape your ethics biblically. And a wonderful opportunity on this program in particular where we get a, a longer time to be able to talk about some of these things. And so the idea of having our ethics when it comes to finance and business shaped by those things that we understand from the Bible, we know it can't happen just in church. There's so many other important things too to talk about when you're actually in church and the preacher, mm. the pastor is up front and uh, delivering you know, elements of the gospel. But we do need to be shaped ethically by these biblical principles, Darren. We do, and I think the core principle that I I, I got out of uh, reading these books, um, I suppose the re- recurring theme was it's all about serving God's children, and it kept coming back, well, who is God's children? Uh, and, and Daniel doesn't actually go through that. He just says it's serving God's children. We, we're meant to serve God's children, win-win, and we're meant to serve really well, um, we should be serving, knowing that they're going to be serving us. So it's a reciprocal thing. Um, and and we, we, in a small Jewish community, there's lots of feedback and there's lots of, uh, you know, it's, it's oftentimes it can be a small community. So 
people know each other, they go to a synagogue on a regular basis and they've got to face each other. Well, how would we serve each other as Christians if, if we had that attitude, that mindset? Um, and would it be different? And, and you know, even the, the general community, because if we're serving God's children, who are God's children? And, um, and it's everyone. Everyone is God's children. So we should be serving in a different light, I think. And hopefully it kind of refines our thinking around how we're doing service and how we're doing our jobs and how we, you know, uh, and those people in business, how we're making money. You know, it's not to say we can't make a profit. You know, uh, it's not about that. It's not about, okay, I, it's, it's, a, it's a win-lose if I'm making a profit. Not at all. Not at all, because I need to stay in business if I make, I need to have a profit to be able to stay in business. Um, so yeah well we're going to continue this conversation after Vision National News and Darren as we're talking about these sort of Hebrew roots to understanding money there's something significant about Hebrew language and how language shapes a culture Uh, let us in on some insights here that you have about Hebrew language yeah, it's very interesting, and, and this was uh, fascinating for me because uh, the, uh, Daniel Appen, the rabbi, uh, stated that he felt that, well, he, he, he languished it this way. He said that Hebrew is God's language, and it's kind of hard to argue with that, but um, what he was saying is that the, the language shapes a culture, um, and very, very interesting the, um, how deep and uh, complex the, the um, Hebrew language is. Uh, for one of the examples he gave is he said, well, if there's, if there's not a word for uh, something, in, uh, for a principle or a concept in the Jewish language, then in their view it does not exist. So it's not things like, okay, is there such a thing as a helicopter? Of course, helicopter wouldn't be a, uh, a word in a Jewish, uh, in the Hebrew language because it wasn't around. It was an invention. invention. But it's more about um, concepts. You know, is, for example, the concept of wealth or the concept of retirement or the concept of entitlement. And um, he was saying that the language shapes the culture, and um, and he's got some evidence for that. But I'll give you an example. Um, he was saying, that, for example, there's no um, word for retirement in the, the Hebrew, and so in in their view, you never retire, because and it kind of makes sense to me because the idea of of um, working is to serve God's children. So why would I stop serving God's children? Mm. (laughs) Those are powerful sentiments And as you say uh, Language does shape a culture And uh, I wonder whether uh, Some of our language here uh, That we use Is shaping the culture that we have Towards uh, money and finance Or whether the language that's being used in church In fact accurately reflects A faith way of shaping Our attitudes to finance And and I suppose those sorts of things are personal And are going to be different for every church Every church Mm. leader Who's, who's communicating those things and, and whether or not we're actually influenced by what the sorts of things we're hearing from Christian leaders. Well, I'll give you an example of one that would be kind of difficult to understand for um, well, something to mull over anyway, at least. Uh, one of the other things they believe about the Hebrew language is if there's an important word in the Hebrew language, then if you read that word backwards, it actually means the opposite of what it means when you read it forwards. Okay, right. So, for example... Um, what do you think the opposite of wealth would be or creating wealth would be? Well, it would be uh, creating despair and poverty, perhaps. Yeah, and in the Jewish um, Hebrew, uh, they believe that the opposite of um, wealth, when you read it backwards, it, it means you're, you're creating evil. Okay, so, so if, wealth is if good then. 
yeah, yeah, creating wealth is good, and if you don't create wealth, then you're creating evil. And if that doesn't shape a culture and thinking about money and wealth, then I don't, I don't know what would. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, well, let's talk about wealth is good, and the opposite is evil, and some people say the opposite would be poverty, but as you say, uh, in Jewish culture, in Hebrew language, uh, the opposite is evil. And uh, interestingly, because sometimes as our attitudes to wealth, now as you know, Darren, and I'll get your insights, uh, our attitudes as Christians to wealth uh, can sometimes be extreme, uh, and sometimes uh, we can be on the uh, you know, on the uh, the poor side of that, and the, the expectation for some is to uh, that Christians ought to be rich. Others are saying the expectation is that Christians ought to be poor. If we're applying some things in here, let's come back to this idea of capitalism for a few moments, and mm. with that particular word, ethical capitalism, because the opposite, as we discussed, is communism, socialism, uh, where in that sense the state's responsibility is to distribute the wealth. Uh, minimizes, this is what's wrong with socialism, minimizes any personal responsibility to meet individual needs. Uh, we rely on the state to do those things. Mm. And uh, the interesting thing about capitalism, though, because the extreme here is is dangerous because, as many of us will remember, that mantra from Wall Street uh, that dominated the early two th- 2000s, greed is good. Uh, so attitudes to wealth here matter as we find where we might sit as Christians. Uh, what are your thoughts on on this idea of uh, wealth uh, being good when in actual fact some people will say wealth means greed? Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, it's interesting. If you take what we were just saying about the Hebrew and the, the meaning of either creating wealth or creating evil and the opposite of that, and, um, and if you take in the idea of what we've been talking about with serving God's children and we only get a reward for the the reward for serving God's children is God gives us the, the the money and so if we're serving well and we're serving God's children and meeting needs we get paid now whether that's a lot of money or a little bit of money but it's a reward for um uh it's a consequence of our service and that's very much how the Jews think of it they don't they don't focus on uh well as a culture, they don't focus on the, the money. They see that as a, a natural consequence. They don't, so it's not a focus for them. So they don't. So ideally, in, in their perfect world of in their perfect culture, as they'd like to, to see it, is that wealth is not the driver. So they don't love the wealth. The wealth it comes as a consequence of good service, of a consequence of meeting people's needs. And I think that's a very interesting way to look at it. I think as Christians, if we stop saying wealth is good or wealth is bad. Or be, and Christians should be wealthy or shouldn't be wealthy. It's not about that. It's about, are we serving well? And if God then blesses us with wealth, are we then serving well with that wealth? Okay, good stuff in all of this. And I know listeners will be gleaning a lot of great wisdom from these insights that you're bringing, Darren. Let's take a call. Chris is on the line from Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Good day, Neil. Um, Darren, yeah, I just want to make a comment it, it, we just got to go to god's word he says do not store yourself up treasures on earth but treasures in heaven and the only treasure you can store, store up in heaven is that you know the souls that uh, are taken to heaven by what you give here on earth so i think um we, we can't buy our way into heaven but if you're a believer in jesus i think the uh, the only thing you should do is uh, and try is to uh, bless the gospel as much as you can because that's that's going to be your treasure in heaven good thoughts chris yeah. response yeah. from darren 
Yeah, Chris, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's actually a strange, in the, the parable of the good uh, steward, at the end of that, Jesus says that you should um, use your money to buy friends. It actually says, use your wealth to create friends so that you may lay up treasures in heaven. So what we're doing is laying down our treasures here on earth to lay them up in heaven. Now, let me ask you this. If we didn't have any wealth, uh, what, how good would the, the good um, Samaritan be if he didn't have any wealth or resources? Now, he had a margin, right? He had some money because he had to pay the innkeeper and he had some margin in his time. And I think, you know, that's the focus of what we're doing with our money. It's not about storing it. It's about using it. Um, and I'm personally very very passionate about the organization Compassion because we know that through Compassion, a bunch of kids every year and their families are coming across. And all of this is a small amount of money and a small amount of time. Um, and that's one example of many organizations out there. But that's where we can, you know, if we're generating a margin and we're generating excess to our needs, we can give that we can give that away. And uh, so I think you're right. I think you're onto something, Chris. <laughs> well, the Bible's right, right? Chris, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation, just on this word storing for a few moments, a word was going around in my mind. Another word for storing is hoarding. And there's a certain hoarding way that you can be fearful of money and consequences that flow from not storing or hoarding, as you say, investing money in making friends and storing up riches in heaven uh, this idea of hoarding sometimes we've got that and uh, you know we want to keep it all to ourselves and not let go of it uh, that's actually stagnating us in some way is it not it is totally and, and in fact um it's it's very important for us to understand why we're building wealth and why we're trying to create a margin and it's not so that we can rely on those things you know in, in ancient cultures which we've been talking about today they they worship things like the sun and they and the reason they worshipped the sun is because they felt that the sun was providing for their wealth. Um, so today, we, we, you know, oftentimes we can get caught in worshipping our, um, our money because we see that as, as a way of protecting us and providing for us, just as the sun provided sunshine to give us crops back um, in the day. These days, we, we know that cash in the bank can help us provide for our future. And then we start to rely on that. And, and we're not called to rely on anyone but God or anything but God. So... Uh, that's where we've just got to make sure, you know, Jesus spoke more about money and wealth and riches than anything else except the kingdom of God. So he spoke about it second to only the kingdom of God. Um, and so he, he spoke a lot about it. Was it I think it was the reason he spoke so much about it is because he knows it can capture our heart. And uh, we're only to serve one master. And we'll talk some more about that too in just a few moments. Let's take another call though. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Sally is on the line from Adelaide. Hello, Sally. Welcome along. How are you? Very well, Sally. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I was just yeah, just really enjoying uh, the points that, uh, that you're sharing there, Darren. I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about um, NGOs and charities because I thought, you know, I, I get where you're coming from, but there is that just that one point where you said, you know, the Jews would be would say if people can't pay for it, um, you know, maybe you're you're on the wrong track. So how does that sort of fit? You know, I work with people who actually can't pay for some of the services, and so then we have that aspect of a charity. So I just wondered if you, you'd chat about that a bit. Darren? Yeah, I, I think that it's about whether society values uh, what's been provided as a service. So that's what they're looking for. Is there um, a value in what's been provided? And, and look, 
there's charitable work that doesn't get paid for sure, and there's NGOs and other other organisations. But is the work valued? And is the worker valued? Um, and and in the work that they're providing. So I think society has filtered that out, and 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 as in that they've said, yes, this is valuable, so we're going to pay for it, and we're going to pay through it through our taxes, and we're going to pay for it through philanthropists and through charitable donations. And so people are putting their wallets, um, or their money where their mouth is with those things because they value it. So, yeah, I think what what I'm I suppose I'm more talking about, um, Sally, is is where somebody thinks they've got an idea for a business, for example. Um, they haven't tested the market at all. They haven't asked whether people value it. They go out and try to create a business and nobody's buying from them. Well, then you've got to ask whether people value it. Okay, thank you so much to uh, Sally from Adelaide. Uh, taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Wayne in Queensland. Hello, Wayne. Welcome along. Yeah, how are you, mate? Yeah, Very mate, well. It's uh, uh, an interesting uh, subject there, but I... I've been into this myself, and long as my motive's right, or our motive's are right, it says in uh, Deuteronomy 8.18 that God gives us power to get wealth according to his unbreakable covenant he's promised to us. And as long as our motive's right, that's the way I've been doing it. And if God reveals to me an area that he wants me to be giving in, uh, the blessings will flow there. If I, if I do it for myself and only for myself, well, I achieve nothing. So it all comes back to giving of yourself whatever God gives to us. That's the way I believe. Good thoughts there, Wayne, and uh, generosity a key, I think, in what you're talking about. Some thoughts from Darren? Yeah, Wayne, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that God, uh, through the Spirit, you know, leads our heart, um, and you know, we should follow that um, where we feel we've been prompted into a particular um, area of service, and, and that can, you know, business is an area of service, or um, it may be a vocation of some kind, but also in our in our charitable giving, you know, where God prompts our heart and says, hey, you know, this is something I'd like to, you to throw those excess funds that I just gave you. <laughs> uh, because, I, you know, we, as we know, God owns everything, um, and so it's all His. It's a matter of how we steward 100% of the, the finances and resources He gives us not just, you know, our tithes and offerings and our giving. Thank you so much to Wayne from Queensland, 1-800-316-316, to join in our conversation. Interesting to note that when you're talking about serving, Darren, you're saying serving in business. Sometimes we talk about serving in ministry, serving in mission, and uh, we all make contributions financially into some of these areas, but serving in in business is no less a spiritual and divine service as some of these other services as well. And uh, I'll save a comment on that because that's just my comment to make in the middle of all of this. But let's take another call because running out of time. And let's hear from Alex in Melbourne. Hello, Alex. Welcome along. Oh, good morning. Yes, uh, I recall a passage where uh, it says to look after your own, uh, to serve everyone as God would serve, as you as you would be serving God, but especially your own, but, uh, according to faith. And that could refer to uh, charities and things like that as well. Uh, Darren, your thoughts for Alex. Yeah, Alex, it, it says uh, basically if we don't look after our families, we're worse than unbelievers. So that's what Scripture says. I think it's actually in Timothy. It says we, we should look after our, um, our families, you know, uh, if, uh, otherwise we're worse than unbelievers. In fact, Wesley d- did some uh, talks on this, and basically he was saying that we should, number one, provide for our family's needs, and only their needs, not all their wants, <laughs> which is kind of a challenge. 
but provide for their, their, their needs, um, then what we should do is provide for the community. And so I believe Jesus, uh, you know, the example of, for example, uh, when he uh, fed the 5,000, there was 12 basketfuls left over. What was that about? You know, we, we don't know about that in the Bible. It doesn't tell us exactly what was going on. But to me, it seemed that there was this overflow of over and above what the needs were so that they could either go into the villages and give it to the orphans and the children and the widows or they could use it for their needs for the next few days. But there was no waste and it was an overflow. It wasn't Jesus showing off. It was because he wants to um, provide us with an overflow so that we can give to others and be generous. Okay, thank you so much to Alex from Melbourne. And look, it comes back to uh, this issue uh, of who we serve here. And interestingly, as we're talking about Jewish wisdom on finances and a Judeo-Christian influence in the way that Western civilization has grown, let's talk about the common denominator in here, Darren. Of course, uh, let's not forget that Jesus Christ himself was a Jew. So the sorts Mm -hmm. of things he talked about uh, were shaped by uh, the Jewish influence upon his life. And, of course, we're talking divine influence. And when Jesus himself says you can't serve two masters, he was speaking into a Jewish context here. Uh, It's God or mammon. And sometimes we talk about mammon as being that sort of love of money, uh, greed focus. He said you can't serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other. Uh, what are your thoughts for uh, this sort of insight, this sort of wisdom, and how that ought to be impacting on us today? Yeah, I think that uh, it comes down to who who's your master, and it, you know, are you mastering your money, or is your money mastering you? Are you making decisions based on um, money, or are you making decisions based on God leading uh, you in your life? Um, I'll give a classic example around this: is debt. Now, debt isn't a sin. To be in debt is not a sin. It's never said that in the Bible. In fact, it gives instructions around debt. So therefore, it it makes the assumption that people were in debt. But the challenge is about whether your debt masters you. I I challenged a bunch of farmers once and said, you know, if the the Lord said to you today, you need to leave the farm and go onto the mission fields, would debt be the reason why you said no? And if, if debt was a reason why you said no, and you just say no, Lord, and is there such a thing as no, Lord? Because if he's your Lord, it's always yes, Lord, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's right. Okay. So, so is, is your debt mastering you? And that's the challenge. Um, it's not so much that debt's bad, it's about whether it's mastering you. And so that's, that's the thing I think is, you know, debt, debt or oh, money is a tool. How are we using that money? And are we, are we uh, making it our master and are we being governed by it? Let's spend our last few minutes of this conversation uh, talking perhaps to those who are coming from behind, uh, not got a lot of wealth uh, to speak of. Uh, perhaps you've got a job and it's not all that well-paying and you, you know, you'd like to get ahead and you're hearing all these things about how God wants to be, be a blessing and uh, that wealth is actually a good thing. Let me just reflect just for a few moments uh, from something I heard a little earlier before our conversation today, that Jews were somehow stereotyped on money issues because going back to some earlier times in history into Europe, as I understand it, where they were even excluded from owning land. So they came from behind. They were disadvantaged. But in having that uh, that uh, that uh, that thing that suppressed them, 
they became expert financiers, managing mm. the money for their owners and became expert financiers and bankers. So they didn't let that thing that was holding them back actually stop them from from creating wealth. Your thoughts on just coming from behind here, Darren, because I know there'll be some saying, uh, I'm, I'm sort of not in this conversation because I haven't got any wealth to talk about. How do you come yeah. from behind to get ahead? Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, when I was running my financial planning practice, I had people all the time saying, well, I can't see a financial planner. I've got no money. And I'd say, well, that's why you need to see me so I can help you create some. Uh, it's, it's about being creative, entrepreneurial, um, using your gifts to be able to create those resources. But also it's about learning how to manage your money well, living well within your means and understanding natural consequence. You know, I, I teach in schools often where... I, I say to the kids, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you've got now, if you get the principles right, the consequence will be that you'll be more financially successful in the future. And it's about getting those um, principles right and understanding natural consequence. If you can only save a dollar a week, start saving a dollar a week. Um, you know, over time, uh, and, and pray about it and look for opportunities where you might be able to, uh, you know, do some overtime or you might be able to take on a second job or you might be able to serve somebody in some way and you can build that up over time. But if you, if you set the principles in place, as the Jews say, it's a natural consequence that you will end up with more. Um, and it's, it's, it's about, um, you know, this is a land of opportunity, Neil. The people who are listening to this program, uh, we're one, in one of the most amazing places on the planet today, and we really have amazing opportunities. And we've just got to find and be resourceful in finding how do we can utilise those opportunities in our context uh, to, to serve people and glorify God. What I always appreciate in a conversation with you, Darren, is that you are so filled with a sense of optimism because it's very easy to look at the news headlines and to become pessimistic about what you're doing. And, of course, that leads to hoarding and uh, then you actually end up being where we've been talking about through a lot of issues through this past hour. Let me point people to God's Money Matters. Darren Laudenbach is the founder of God's Money Matters. And uh, you can hear his wisdom in our conversation today. Uh, he also has written a book called God's Money Matters, Biblical Keys to Financial Freedom and the Art of Mind Over Money. And it doesn't, I think, have uh, the sorts of conversation we're having today, but the principles that we're talking about are contained in your book, Darren. Let me point people to godsmoneymatters.com and uh, connection to Darren Laudenbach and perhaps some inspiration when you visit his website, perhaps get a hold of his book. Uh, Darren, always appreciate your wisdom. I want to say thank you so much for being part of 2020 once again today. Oh, Neil, I just really enjoy uh, speaking with you and sharing with the listeners. So thanks again for having me. We'll do this again sometime very soon. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.